0: Hello, I'm Phil Elwood and I'm here with Chris Hammett uh, and we're in Barcelona at the ESC and we're going to discuss some of the recent highlights, particularly the late Blake clinical trials. Uh, on the very first morning there were three trials which we believe will be practice changing. The first one uh, is Cantos. Uh, Cantos was a trial with a drug which is hard to pronounce, which is an anti-inflammatory agent. It was conducted over a long period of trial time in patients with uh, uh, vascular disease, and it looked essentially at the effect of, of this drug on inflammation. So, we know uh, uh, um, from a pathology that cholesterol is important, and we believe inflammation is important. We've got lots of data showing that lowering cholesterol improves outcomes. We've never had any data at all that decreasing inflammation will. This is the first trial that has demonstrated by decreasing inflammation will reduce uh, ca- bad cardiovascular outcomes. Chris, you were there. What did you think of the data? Well,
1: it's certainly impressive that it proves the inflammatory hypothesis, that, that lowering inflammatory markers actually has a, an effect on cardiovascular outcomes, completely independent of lipids. So this drug targets interleukin-1-beta, and by doing that, it lowers inflammation in the plaque. It had absolutely no effect on LDL or lipids, but significantly lowered CRP, which is a marker of inflammation, by about 50%. And um, over the course of the trial, they had a 15% reduction in cardiovascular outcomes, predominantly MI. So um, maybe that's not a huge outcome in itself, a 15% reduction, but it certainly proves the hypothesis that inflammation is important. But they did have a couple of, I think, very important um, equal effects from the trial, and that was on cancer outcomes, which we were studying um alongside cardiovascular outcomes. So they knew that this was a player in cancer and perhaps metastasis, and they showed a significant reduction in in cancer occurrence and cancer mortality. So it opens up a whole other possibility for this drug to be used in the oncology world as well.
0: Yeah, so it looks like uh, in in cardiology, we're going to now have a whole lot of studies. There are indeed some going on at the moment with anti-inflammatory agents. This drug's very expensive. Hopefully some of the cheaper ones like methotrexate or even colchicine will have a beneficial effect. Mm. But I, I think the very important thing is to prove the inflammatory hypothesis. The next big trial that followed on was the COMPASS trial. And that really tested the uh, aspirin uh, alone against aspirin and a low dose of rivaroxaban against a high dose of rivaroxaban. Now, you're a bit of an expert on rivaroxaban. Chris, do you want to tell us? Yeah, I think this is
1: a huge result. I mean, this really proves that what we call the dual pathway hypothesis. So up until now, we've had this almost dichotomous idea that, that platelets are all important in the arteries and that thrombus is all important in the veins. And in fact, in, in the artery, both are important and they have an important interplay between platelets and, and thrombus formation. So we proved way back in the ATLAS trial that if you put low dose rivaroxaban together with um, dual antiplatelet therapy, you get an increased benefit, reduction in in MI and, in fact, a mortality benefit. Um, And this follows on from that. So there was some conversation about whether ATLAS was flawed, whether the droplet in that trial affected the results. Well, this proves categorically that, no, it's a real effect of the drug. So in this trial, they had... Um, almost thirty thousand patients, nine thousand in each group: uh, an aspirin alone group, um, aspirin and very low dose rivaroxaban at two point five BD, or a rivaroxaban alone group, five milligrams BD. And um, this was unstable patients; these were people, on average, about seven years from an, from an MI, um, and also quite an important peripheral vascular disease um, cohort. And what they showed by adding in the rivaroxaban was a significant reduction. in in all important endpoints. So they achieved their MACE endpoint, the combined endpoint of um, cardiovascular death, MI and stroke, but significantly, they they had an all-out mortality benefit by adding in the rivaroxaban. This is stable patients seven years after a heart attack. And they had a significant stroke reduction, almost 50% reduction in stroke. Um, So I think that's striking and and practice-changing results, really. It, It suggests that You know, we've been looking for ways to modify that long-term risk for patients, and prolonged DAPT has been one approach we've taken with, um, you know, some degree of reluctance with uptake. I think this is a game-changer that really will be a a strategy we'll start using once the drug becomes available.
0: Look, I agree with that. I think it is worth pointing out that this 2.5 milligrams BD is not available in Australia at the moment. The atrial fibrillation dose is 20 milligrams daily or 15 milligrams daily. Wouldn't want people to get confused with the pixaban where the five milligrams and the 2.5 milligrams are much higher potency. And uh, we saw when that was used uh, in some of the other trials of significant bleeding. So I think we need to be aware of that. But I agree with you, this is going to be changed practice once the drug becomes available.
1: I mean, one other thing about that trial is that it was in peripheral vascular disease patients as well, a group of people who, you know, there haven't been a lot of therapies that have been proven to, to work, and some of the dual antiplatelet trials have been disappointing in that field, and they had a great benefit as well, including significant improvement in limb outcomes, less amputations, less ischemia and revasc. So, yeah. you know, um, good result all around.
0: Yep. Yeah, then the third trial that morning was in atrial fibrillation, the, the Castle trial. And this was a trial of ablation uh, versus uh, normal treatment I'd had a mortality uh, outcome. And in fact, we showed a benefit in terms of mortality for the first time uh, with atrial fibrillation ablation. Uh, There were a number of other atrial fibrillation trials uh, looking at quality of life with ablation. And I must say, uh, ablation is looking better and better as time goes on. Uh, We knew it made the patients feel better, but now we know it will save their lives. So uh, I think that's important. Do you have any comments about Castle?
1: Well, I think it's, and again, I think it's very impressive results to get a mortality benefit in, in a relatively low, low number of patients. I mean, there are only around 300 patients in the trial, and, and these are patients we know are high risk and difficult to treat. Yeah. So um, the ablation led to significant reduction in atrial fibrillation and, um, and as you say, a, an all-out mortality benefit. So again, practice changing result, I think.
0: And there were some Australian sites in this trial, so it is applicable in our environment. There were a couple of other AF trials which were of interest I'll just mention briefly. One was using Apixaban early on in patients who got cardioversion. We've already had trials with uh, Rivaroxaban in that area. Uh, Essentially, it was a non-inferiority trial. It showed there was no, uh, apparently no danger for, from using a Apixaban. To really show that, you need enormous numbers. They only had a couple of thousand patients, but I think it's probably reasonable that you can use a Apixaban uh, early, and whether the image as well uh, w- remains to be seen. Um, the, um, the other area which was of quite interest was around um, the use of triple therapy, uh, post-stenting uh, in patients with atrial fibrillation and re reported. Uh, And they compared dabigatran with um, clopidogrel uh, compared, or ticlopidine compared to standard triple therapy with warfarin and uh, aspirin and uh, either clopidogrel or ticlopidine. And they used two doses of uh, dabigatran and basically demonstrated a little like the worst study that you had a lot less bleeding when you used double rather than triple therapy. And uh, in this case, you didn't uh, lose any efficacy. The trial probably wasn't powered for efficacy, but again, I think we're moving more and more towards away from triple therapy or keeping it short, and it probably proves that uh, the, you can use the NOACs in this situation.
1: And it's consistent with other trials, such as um, Pioneer, so. yeah.
0: Now, you've spent to a few PCI studies. Do you want to talk about Yeah, those? a couple
1: of interesting studies. One, one, of, the, um, one of the studies was um, BioFlow 5, which is looking at the new um, Oserio stent. This is a very thin strut. Permanent metal stent with a dissolvable polymer. So, the idea is the polymer may be toxic in the long term and that by it dissolving away it, it gives better long term safety. Right. And they compared it to standard care with the Zion stent and they found quite remarkable results with a reduction in, in early events, reduction in early MI. But they did a landmark analysis and found that the, the benefits were ongoing with that stent. So, it looks like that's moving forward and and showing some of the promise of um, dissolvable polymers. Uh, We need more studies to be sure. The other big thing in that field was Syntax too. So you remember the Syntax trial was an attempt to show that PCI was equivalent to cabbage and multivessel disease, but in fact it turned out to be inferior in Syntax, that the cabbage was better with less target lesionary vascularization. In Syntax too they refined it, they had much better PCI techniques, they used FFR, or IFR physiologically driven revascularization. Um, they optimized the result with IVIS, they had better CTA results. And by doing that they got results that were far better than the PCI arm of the original syntax trial and were equivalent to cabbage um, patients in that original syntax trial. You know, even in the higher risk um, group. So it's it's not definitive in its own right, but it's rebalancing a little bit towards saying PCI is feasible in some of these multi, multiversal disease patients if you do it right.
0: What about the STEMI guidelines, do they have they had some Yeah, like so the, the
1: first update since 2012, so we've now got 2017 STEMI guidelines, and um, they're fairly consistent with the original ones, but they've done a bit of tidying up. They, uh, there was some confusion about when the clock starts, this concept of first medical contact, and they've now changed that to say, look, it's the... The first diagnostic ECG, it's when you know it's a STEMI, that's when the timing starts. And the end of timing got messy as well because we had this balloon time, you know, door to balloon, um, which is no longer applicable. We often use other devices mm-hmm. and they've changed that to a wire across lesion. So we've got much cleaner time, start and finish. Um, they also tied it up, um, made it very clear when you should thrombolise versus PCI, and they said if you can't get to PCI in 120 minutes, that's the the time we should consider thrombolysis instead. Um, And finally, a couple of changes to to guidelines. The um, radial access has become now a class one indication, so strongly preferred. And drug-eluting stents and STEMI are again class one now, so strongly preferred. So that's an upgrade from the previous guidelines. And finally, thrombectomy, which we know was disappointing in total, that's been downgraded to a Class three recommendation, so worthless, don't perform. So um, the, the guidelines are, are sort of an iteration from previously, but I think are, are much um, do help us with clarity.
0: Yeah, I think they were really good. I, I went to a couple of things around cholesterol lowering. The PCSK9 inhibitors are, of course, the, all in the news. There were no outcome studies of those at this meeting, but plenty of others demonstrating their efficacy on lowering LDL cholesterol. There was a new uh, P- method of inhibiting PCSK9 by uh, messenger RNA, which you inject, and you only need to inject maybe three times in the first year and then every six months thereafter, which had a very profound effect on, on the LDL levels, and they're about to move into a phase three study. So that's going to be a really interesting product to follow. And then we had the REVEAL trial with aniseptopid, which is the first uh, CEPT inhibitor trial to actually show a benefit. There have been Uh, Three trials before, one with torceptropid was harmful, the other two uh, with dalceptropid and evoceptratib was stopped because of um, futility essentially or they showed no benefit. Uh, And this is the first one that showed a benefit and that was a very big trial, over 30,000 patients. It ran for much longer than the other trials and it showed a modest 9% uh, effect on cardiovascular outcomes. And it appeared, at least superficially, to be due to the LDL-lowering effect of this drug rather than its HDL-raising, which was the original hypothesis. Uh, The patients all had very low LDLs to start with, 1.6, so it also demonstrated that even at those very low levels, there's further benefit to be achieved by lowering uh, your LDL cholesterol. I think we need to see a bit more of the detail of that trial as it comes out. And... uh, we're involved in an interesting study with um, dalteparp, where we're genetically typing people who we think may selectively benefit. Um, there were a couple of other things which were a, a slightly negative: spiral H, uh, hypertension uh, with uh, trying to resurrect uh, renal artery dilation. Yeah, so
1: they, they showed them; they used a much better technique than in simplicity, and they they did show it reduces blood pressure, but um, but an average of five millimeters mercury. So. Um, I'm not sure how clinically relevant that is, but um, it gives a little bit more life to the concept and the therapy, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah a bit disappointing in uh, only five or six millimetres. And the other one, which was quite a nice study, was with oxygen. Uh, Uh, We've had debates about the use of oxygen in myocardial infarction, there was a study from Australia that indicated it might actually be harmful. And this was a well done study on the Swedish uh, registry and this demonstrated that really there was no benefit from giving patients who were not hypoxemic oxygen, but equally so, no harm. So I I guess, uh, I I personally think many of the patients find it reassuring for some reason to have an oxygen mask on, so at least you know you're not doing them, them any harm. Look, there's been a a lot of things going on at this meeting, but I think they're the highlights uh, Mm. of the thing, that that, uh, certainly three studies which I think will change practice, maybe not immediately, because the the agents we might want to use aren't necessarily available, but there'll be an immediate increase in AF ablation, I'm sure. Mm. It's
1: been a major... I mean, I think in terms of ESC, it's one of those meetings where you get studies you immediately know are going to be practice changing, and um, and it's exciting to be at, so it's
0: been a good meeting. Well, thank you for coming.